Welcome to Unbreakable Spirit, stories of inspiring and thriving with Jennifer Seven, co-author of a book that is part of the Sisterhood Folios, a number one international bestseller. This is a podcast about real women who've overcome tremendous obstacles and come out on the other side to thrive. Whether their hardships were financial, relational, or health, these women dug deep and found the light out of the dark to rise from the ashes, to find the ability to forgive, to love, and to live an authentic, joyful life. Now, here is your host, Jennifer Seven. Welcome, Unbreakable Spirit listeners, to episode number 28. And as always, I have an amazing guest today, and my guest is Sarah M. Let me tell you a little bit about Sarah, because she has quite the story. Sarah has life lessons, and she has gained wisdom that impacts others due to her experience of surviving the mass genocide of Cambodia. Her inspirational award-winning book, How I Survived the Killing Fields, was honored in 2015. As a speaker, she shares how tenacity, perseverance, and faith are required values to conquer fear and reach success. Sarah speaks to help listeners refocus, build confidence, and develop self-leadership at conferences, churches, schools, TV, podcasts, radios, and more. Sarah operates a wellness business, Smart Healthy Living, and she also co-hosts a weekly live show on Facebook called A Thriving Conversation. Well, I am really honored and thrilled to have you on my podcast, Sarah. So welcome. Welcome, welcome. Thank you for having me. You are very welcome. And with no further ado, I think I just want to jump in and let you share your story because this looks to me like it's going to be quite a compelling story. So Sarah, just jump in and wherever you'd like to start with telling us your story. Okay. Well, I will start from my childhood. Mm -hmm. I I grew up in the village, uh, in the countryside. Uh, My parents are farmers and I, I was the firstborn child, and as you can imagine, I feel loved and secure, and I enjoy the environment that we were living in, in the, you know, surrounded by nature, fruit trees, tropical exotic fruits, and, mm. and we live near the river, freshwater river, so it, it's beautiful, but my parents, they they work very hard and they realized that farming is a hard working you know life yes so they, they don't want me to grow up as a farmer so they encourage me to stay in school and just get higher education so that's what I believe and after I finished high school I went off to college And college is far away from home. It's in the capital city. That is about 350 miles or so. That means I had to leave my family behind. Mm -hmm. That must have been hard. That must have been hard to do. Yeah, it was hard. So uh, while I'm pursuing my higher education, in 1975, in the month of April, a horrible thing happened to Cambodia. And you 
remember the communist Khmer Rouge. They took over Cambodia. They are the communist party, communist regime. Uh-huh. And they match in, in, the, in the city with military style. They came in with madness and anger and hate. And as soon as they move in, they, they make sure that everything was shut down. So, yeah, that's including the bus line, the oh. airplane, the post office, and all the places that used to operate. There's nothing going on. Everything was shut down. And, and you're in university, so are classes stopped? Everything is stopped? Yeah, yeah. Everything was stopped. Everything was stopped before they came in because we just celebrate the new year. Okay. Cambodians celebrate new year in April. And when we celebrate, we took three days. Shut off everything. Nobody... Okay. Nobody do anything. We, it's we, it's your holiday, it's New Year holiday. holiday. Yeah, we celebrate. So they took advantage of that. So when they came in, everything was already shut down for them. It's mm. easy, easy. And the next day, they proceed to evacuate everybody out of the city. So they went door to door and point the gun at us. And they could get out, get out. Hurry. Oh my hurry with their mean anger uh, voice so we were trembling i and imagine were you you had roommates that you live with or friends that you yes, were with? i i have i had roommate but during the turbulence you know we we heard that some noise is getting closer and closer i ran i I went to my uncle's house. My uncle lived in the suburb of the city. So when I went, when I reached his house and he already prepared to leave, he said, let's move, let's go to Phnom Penh, go back to the city so that we can find a strong building to to hide. So he felt it would be better to be back in the city than to be where he was. Yeah, yeah, because... Um, the city has stronger building. So that's what we did. We found an empty school building and we just went in there and hide ourselves in. But when they came in, we, we were in that building. And they didn't allow anybody to stay in the city. So they put so, us- So they found you in the building and you had to get out. Yeah. And, and are you able to communicate with your family at all? Your parents, you can't reach them. Everything is shut down. Everything was shut down. And by then, there's no cell phone, mm. uh, no, no land phone either, because that was a long time ago, almost five decades ago. And this is a small country. But anyway, we did not know what happened to my family. Mm. And they didn't know about me either. So we were pushed to go away from the city and we walked miserably in the heat and we carry a, a little bit of food that we have left over and just a, a couple of clothes. That's it. Whatever you could carry. Yeah, 
that's it. And you're with your uncle at this point? Yeah. My uncle and his family. He, ha he has a wife and two, two toddlers. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So uh, we uh, keep walking for weeks. And finally, we got into the uh, remote, as far away village. I was going to ask you, like, how did you know where to go? Or we, you just got on the road and just walked? Yeah, we just followed the crowd. Followed the crowds. Yeah. My uncle's wife uh, come from a village along that river. So we, we went to the direction of her mm -hmm. hometown. So her hometown. So that's what we are aiming at. So we arrived at her relative's uh, hometown and we were giving a temporary place to stay and then um, they want us to go to work right away. Work is in the right field. And now, now who wanted you to work? The, the communist regime. So they're in the village as well. They already already trained the villagers okay. of their their routine, what what is their normal lifestyle. So and then they want us to go to work right away. And at the same time, they was uh, making announcement. They said that we are we want to uh, take some people to move to Badambong. Badambong is the big province where my family lives. When I heard the word, I said, oh, me, I'm, I'm going. So I signed up. And when my uncle realized that I signed up, he wanted to take his whole family to come with me. Okay. So um, I have my support from my uncle. And uh, when, when they transport us, through the bus, through the boat, and then the train is a long, long distance. So, but finally, they drop us off at the middle of nowhere. Mm. Very disappointing. I was expecting to go to Badambong, where I'm, I was uh, familiar with, but no, no. They was uh, deceptive. Very so they were just trying to get people to a certain area, so they were lying to you all. Yeah, yeah, they want to make sure some area have some people mm -hmm. and, and some area not too crowded, so they just want to displace, take people wherever they want to. And uh, so, my uncle, family, and I we get try to get settled in this new village. And at the same time, there was another announcement. They were looking for single people. And I was single. Mm -hmm. And I, I have an impression that they want these people to get trained. And then, and then when there is a neighbor, the village nearby needs some help, they will send these people to go. So I contemplating. You know, I might have an opportunity to travel, to go to different places. Mm -hmm. So that's that's all I was thinking about. I, I just, you know, I, I might have a chance to go find my family. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> my, my, my selfish. <laughs> but 
it's not completely selfish because I want to help out my family. Oh, yeah. And find them, I'm sure. Yeah. So uh, this time I got stuck. Big time. Got stuck in the big cam. The cam uh, has 1,000 people. So they took the single people that they talked into signing up thinking you were going to get some kind of opportunity and they put you in a camp and was it in a different area did they move you again yeah yeah so um this camp these people in the camp has the job to do in the rights field also okay Cambodia there are plenty of rice field and rice field required hard work, mm-hmm. manual work. We don't have the machine like we do in the United States. Everything mm-hmm. that we need to do is manual. You have to do it by hand. By hand. So um, when I arrived into that camp, I realized that, oh, oh, I was so disappointed. So they put us to work so long, long hours in the day, like 16 hours a day. We were from dawn all the way until nighttime. And uh, in the heat, you know, the heat in Cambodia. It's very humid and hot, right? Very hot. It's it's like like summer in Miami. Mm, Yes, like a wet, wet heat. Yeah. So in that heat, 16 hours a day, can you imagine? Mm, In the the summer, yeah, long and hot. And also they give us very little food to eat. And where were you staying? Did they provide you housing? Uh, Kind of, (laughs) kind of. (laughs) A kind of housing. It's an abandoned uh, Buddhist temple. So this shelter is for the monk to stay in. It's not really well insulated or anything like that. It's just the roof mm-hmm. and, and the floor to sleep on. That's it. So, um, yeah, that's how we live. And all the women stay with the women. And the man stay with man. So like about 10, 15 of us stay in one shelter and another 10, 15 stay in another shelter. So, you know, that's how the arrangement was. But work, just so hard work, very hard. And not too long after we started, within a couple months, many of us got sick because the work was just too too harsh mm-hmm. and also the food is not enough yeah we, we were exhausted and the, we don't have enough sleep and we don't have time to rest it's just like our body was so abused big time and now did sarah did you have guards or yes so you weren't free to come and go as you choose it no. was you will get up you will work you yeah. will come back to this shelter yeah yeah god everywhere with big 
automatic big uh, guns guns everywhere that's scary everywhere so we don't dare to do anything you know uh, against their rule Mm -hmm. their rule is so ridiculous but so now many of us got sick and we we all almost all of us get sick because our immunity was so so low when somebody got sick we pass on to each other mm-hmm. easily so my first sickness was like high fever you know chill and high fever and then become a malaria oh no and then i become i have another you see it's um typhoid did you get typhoid i got typhoid oh wow that, yeah. that's, that's bad. That's really bad, right? It's so miserable. And then, uh, and then my body start to swell, you know, puff up all over my face, my, my leg, my arm, mm. and the, the puffiness doesn't stay long. I initiate, I lost that puffiness. And when I, I initiate, I lost about 10, 15 pounds. Abrupt loss of weight. Mm. So, and uh, and then the puffiness come again. Oh and then and then I'm emaciated again. So puffy and emaciated, puffy and emaciated, mm. until until I emaciated all the weight that I can possibly lose. So you are starving. You're shrinking, and when you're sick. Do they still make you work? Do they give you any medicine? There's no medicine. Mm. So we still go to work. Even though you're sick. I don't know how you would do that. Yeah. Work work is just the ticket to get the food. If we don't work, we don't get the food. So we have to push ourselves to work. And they push us also. They don't Mm. want us to stay in the shelter so finally at one point i cannot keep going so i can't go so what happened when you cannot go they don't want you to stay in the same shelter as the working people yeah. they have another place so i was sent to a hospital but not really a hospital mm. When because I they're get, not they're not really giving you any care there. It's just where they want to put all the sick people together, like yeah. so that you're not messing with the people that can still work. Yeah, yeah. So that's what happened. And the people that stay in that hospital, I'll I'll call it infirmary. Okay. Yeah. That people the people in the infirmary, they are very sick. They just wait for their time to die. So people are dying all around you? People are dying. And I realize that if I stay, I will die. Mm -hmm. There's no way, no way I can recover. There's no doctor or nurse or medication for us. And are they giving you any food in this place? Yeah, a little little bit. A little bit. So... Uh, when I realized I am in a bad place, very bad place now, the worst place so far. So I start thinking about some strategy. What can I do? Mm-hmm. 
what can I do? I, I cannot go back to work. I cannot run away because I'm too sick. Plus, I will not go far because the God is everywhere watching. And I cannot stay because you'll die. You're afraid yeah. you'll die. Yeah. I will die. So as I search for the solution, and here what I come up with, I thought about thought about when I was young, about seven years old or so. I love to listen to my mom's story. She read. My mom loved to read. Read good book, adult book, but I love to listen. It's just mm. like music in my ear. I lay down next to her and just listen. And one story caught my attention. In this story, there was one, one man. He dedicated his life to one virtue. That virtue is generosity. Mm. All his life, he gave away everything that he could possibly give. He gave up his palace. He, he, he was the prince and he gave up his beautiful palace and went to the jungle. He had only one wife and the two children with him. That's all he owned. But there was one bad person. This person is very mean and greedy. And he realized that, oh, this man, he's building up his generosity virtue. So that's his opportunity to take, to, to ask for the last possession that this man has. He asked for the children and the wife. Oh my goodness. So this man, although he loved them so much, but for his dedication for this life that he's going to build up his virtue, he had to give them to this person. So this person got a hold of wife and two children, and he started to beat them up, abuse, yes. abuse them. So this man cannot do anything to protect his family anymore because he's no they are no longer in within his possession. Right, he gave them up. Yeah. So it took God. God saw what happened, and God sent the angel to come to rescue the children and the woman. That story gave me a clear vision of God. I, I interpret this story to realize there is God that know, know everything. Mm -hmm. He is loving and kind. That's all I know about this God. I have no other information. So now, back to my infirmary situation. When right, that, because you're, you're, you're trying to figure out what, what am I going to do here? Yes, yes. So as I'm searching inside, 
I realize there is God. I better better pray to him. Mm-hmm. So I had to be careful because this communist regime, they don't believe in any religion. Mm. So even though the place that where we stayed right there, um, it was the Buddhist temple. They don't believe in Buddhism. They don't believe in anything. So I had to be careful. I wait for, for night time. When nobody can see me and I I kneel and I pray and beg God to help me to help me to survive. All I want just to survive. Yeah. Survive long enough so that when things change, I will be able to find my family. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a glimpse of hope that this situation will not last forever. Yes. That's my hope. Yeah. So um, I pray to this God every night for many, many nights. And then one morning when I woke up earlier than usual and I realized, oh, nobody see me, nobody wake up yet, I'm going to walk away. Oh. I walk back to the working place. So because this is a, a sick people, so the God really didn't pay too much attention. So. The God did not spot me. So I got to the other side and I, I met one young team leader. This person is very kind. When she saw me sick and limbo, and then she said, oh, you can stay with me. Maybe I can help just to find something to do. You know, somebody, people have to do something. We, mm-hmm. cannot, we cannot sit still not doing anything. And then she realized I'm too sick to do anything for her. Mm. So it's if it wasn't the rice fields that you had to be doing something. Yeah, yeah. She's in charge of the garden. Okay. Yeah. And you couldn't do that either. No, no. I'm I'm just so weak, I imagine. So weak. I sometimes I have a hard time catch my breath for the night breath. So mm. I'm 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 extremely sick. Yeah. Sarah, how old were you at this point? At that point, I was uh, maybe 20, 22, maybe okay. at that time. Yeah. So a very young woman. Yeah. So she somehow, she talked to the people working in the kitchen, and then she came back and told me that you can go and help out in the kitchen. Oh, that's good news. That's the best news I have heard so okay. far. Okay. <laughs> so when I go to the kitchen, I got to work in the shade and I got uh, more access to food mm-hmm. and I have more time to sleep. So all around, everything is much better. So you were really blessed that this woman helped you. Yeah, she might be my angel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So I... I'm, I'm just so grateful, so grateful. And I work there and gradually I feel better and I gain more energy and gain more weight. So for several months I worked there. And then finally when the, the big leaders saw me look better, feel better, they would not let me stay. Oh no. They so you, you couldn't stay in the kitchen, no. 
they pull me out. They pull me out and throw me back into the right field. You know, instead of being angry and resentful, I look at this way. At least I have this break. At least I have a chance to recover. Mm-hmm. So I calm down and I just be gracious. Just keep doing what they push me to do. So I endure for four years. Four years in the rice fields. So just that one break, that's all you got? Yeah, yeah. And one break, enough to save my life. So then back into the fields for the 16 hours a day. Yeah. And what what actually were you doing in the fields? What did you have to do? Was it planting or cutting or all yeah. of it? All of it. Plant in the season that the rain, the rainy season, we plant. We plant a new, new rice plant. And then we let it grow. And then during the break between the planting and the harvesting, they have another job for us to do. They would okay. not let us, they would not let us stay still and waiting for the harvest. No, we dig the canal, the canal, we we build a dam. It's all manual work. Oof. Just like no nonstop. We work very hard. So yeah. For so four years. Yeah. So did you get sick again or did you you were able to keep your health during those four years? Uh, my health started to decline again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's not as bad as the last time. Mm-hmm. But I still decline and I have blindness. And we call it nighttime blindness. When when you don't have enough nutrition, your body got affected. For mm-hmm. me, for me, my eyesight was very bad. Mm. Yeah, I don't have enough nutrients mm-hmm. to, to support my eyesight. But so I got a lot of help from the sisterhood that I built. You know, I I was good with with people in the camp. So we, we build relationship and we support and we help each other. So that's how we survive. Yeah. Yeah. Helping so, each other. Helping each other. Yeah. You're helping each other. And you've cultivated somehow an attitude of gratitude. You 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 went to grateful. Which yeah. gosh. Wow, that must have been really hard. I mean, I can't imagine not being angry and upset and scared. I mean, I'm sure you were all of those things too, but yeah. Yeah, I I was scared also, but but not too much, not too overwhelming, you know. I have a, a low degree of scare, of concern, of fear, you know, all those, but not overwhelming and I guess as long as you were able to work they weren't going to do anything to you right if if you couldn't work then shipped off to the infirmary and maybe just to die Mm -hmm. but you otherwise you had to work yeah yeah as long as I obey their rules just keep moving and doing the job I'm fine unless I have unless they found my name on the blacklist. This, 
there's a lot of people that get on their blacklist that they eliminate them. Mm. So people that used to work or have some kind of connection with previous government, people that have higher profession, um, have higher education. In my case, because of my move, my transition from one place to another, somehow I lost my identity. So Which the, ended up being a good thing? It is a good thing. If if they if they follow me my my track record that I have been in college and all that I my name will be on the blacklist. And if your name is on the blacklist, then you would be executed. Yeah, and that's why they called it the killing fields, right? Because so many people were executed. Gosh. Yeah, yeah. They eliminate anybody that has something to do. They, they don't want any people to, to form a rebellion to group mm-hmm. to, fight, to fight back. Yeah, at one of my interviews, I asked why, why people did not rise up and... and right, fight back. Know, fight back, but no, they eliminate all those people that might have a chance to do that right it, from the beginning. It sounds like when it happened, it all happened very suddenly so there was no time to prepare to fight back no no they they did that at the very beginning yeah they 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 pulled those people in the truck road in the truck load they yeah it's pretty bad Mm. so you manage for four years and and then what happens at the end of four years there was something, some noise in the faraway background and, and this uh, team got moved. They must realize there's something going on. So they moved us. Okay, they moved you. They moved us in the direction into the jungle. As soon as I detect that we are going into the jungle, I realized, oh no. I don't want to keep moving with them because that's not the right direction for me. Mm-hmm. I want to go to my, to find my family. Mm-hmm. That's my family probably not in the jungle. Yeah. Right. So I start to think about running away, escape. But since I was so frail, I was, I was now ready to do it all by myself. So I asked three of my good friends, you know, my sisterhood. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I tapped their shoulder, hey, I'm going to escape. Would you go with me? Yeah, three of them say yes. <laughs> wow. I'm sure that took a lot of courage. A lot of courage. <laughs> of course. We are risking our life. Yeah. It's very risky. So, but anyway, we um, we make a plan. We don't really have a lot to think about. It just said, okay, we are ready. Here's what we will do. So we just want to make sure that we know where to go. We don't really know where to go because mm-hmm. we don't we don't have a map. We don't have a GPS. Right. <laughs> right. But we'll try to track back where we came from. And it's still very hard to see at nighttime. Mm-hmm. 
you know, in the jungle when it's dark, it's dark, it's black. And of course, you don't have flashlights or anything like that. No, nothing, nothing. So we just took a big chance on our life, but we made it out. That's amazing. Yeah, we walked out through that night. We walked far, and God must protected us. We didn't step on the snake or anything dangerous. We didn't get lost and went around and around the jungle. So at least we didn't get lost. And by the time the sun come up and we can see each other's face and we smile and we look look to our back and we don't see the God, the armed God. And we realize that we made it out. We are free. So where where were you or where were you headed? How did you even know which direction to go in? Well, the camp originally was very close to the national road, to the main road that that connect from one province to the other. Mm-hmm. And then uh, when we get moved, they move us close to the jungle that far away from the main road. So we are trying to trace back to the main road again. So when we saw some people walking, we start asking for the direction, how to go to Badambong, where my hometown is. So some people know how to tell us, some people don't. So we just keep asking. And eventually we follow the direction. And finally, after a long walk, almost a month of walking a month yeah yeah so we slept on the ground and sometimes we need help from the village the people in the village and we asked for this and that imagine you needed food yeah yes yeah and at one point I was so sick um I I had a diarrhea Mm. And I couldn't walk and I just got so sick. So people are uh, kind and help us along the way. So um, then finally, I tracked down my family. I went and I saw my, my parents. So you found, you found them and they were okay? They are all okay. They... Later on, long, long later, a few years later, they told me about their journey, their story. They mm-hmm. almost got wiped out in one gunshot, mm-hmm. but but it didn't happen. I thank God every day until now that if that happened, I don't know how I'm going to move on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but, but God was so graceful. It was it just like, I, I don't know what to say, but it's just like, I am beyond grateful that mm. I was able to survive, was able to escape, was able to find my family, my the whole family, everybody in my family, my immediate family. Everybody I made it. Made it. Um, they struggled just like I did. But my aunt... They lost their sons, they lost their husband. And my uncle, the one that um, came from the city with me, he didn't make it. Oh, no. No, I, I lost him. Oh, yeah, it's so sad. 
So was your family in the same village that you grew up in? Were they, did they stay there or how did you find them? Well, when I went to the original place where our house used to be, there was no home. They already, they destroyed our home. So the farm is gone. Well, this is a, a nice house. My my family moved away from the farm. Okay. They have another house in the city. So I went to that house in the city and the house was gone. So I look around and I don't see anybody. I don't see people that I know. And then I, I went to the hospital looking for my, my aunt because I remember my aunt used to be a nurse. So mm-hmm. I think I, I thought that she might be alive, might be working in the hospital. Mm-hmm. So I went to the hospital and I searched for her and I asked and they said, yeah, she's here. Oh, yay, miracle. Yeah, miracle. Yes. And we were, we are so happy to find each other and we cry and she told me where my family moved to that's how I tracked down my family that is actually amazing that you found them and that she was still there or that you found her in the hospital yeah yes so yeah a lot of people lost their relatives their family members but I am more grateful that my immediate family are still alive. It's really a miracle. And and so then at some point you left Cambodia and came here to the US. Yeah. And your family, did they come too? Were you all yeah. able to get out of the country? Yeah, a few years after I left, uh, they left also. But they got into a situation when they arrived to the border of Thailand the refugee camp that we that I I registered to become a, a refugee. Okay. That camp was close to new members, to new yes. to new arrival. So my family arrived at the bad time. It's too late. Oh no. Late. So it it just made my my duty to bring them to the country much harder. Mm-hmm. I I worked very hard to to make the um, family reunification process possible, but I I received a lot of help from friends, from church, from the senator and congressman, and all the people that I can can ask for help. So um, yeah, eventually. About eight years later, my family came to join me. I bet that was a happy, happy day. It was the <laughs> happiest day. Second reunion. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. So you're in the States and you go on to create your own business and share your story. Yeah. I... I start to share my story seven years ago. When that's when I published my book, and uh, and a lot of people supporting me to help me 
take me, invite me to speak here and there. And now, I now I focus on speaking. I mm -hmm. focus focus on using my inspirational story to inspire people. Um, I want to give them hope. Mm -hmm. So I, I look at this experience, my experience. Um, I'm grateful that I make it out. I'm grateful that I've learned a lot and that I did not, um, when, when I did not go under, um, I, I survived. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's what I'm focusing on. Wherever I tell my story, it's not about my story. It's about how you make it through, through any challenges. Yeah. It's, it's not about the killing field anymore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's about our own life challenges. Yes. And you really went through some adversity and yet it didn't make you bitter or full of hatred. I mean, you seem like you have such a kind, giving soul. Yeah, I I decided to forgive a long time ago. That's how I am here. I That's how I become who I am today. Mm -hmm. Because if I hold on to the bitterness and anger and hatred, I would not make it to today. There was, it, it's not good to hold on to that negativity in our body. No, it's not. It's yeah. not. But boy, with what you went through, that's a lot to forgive. It's a lot to forgive. Yeah. So um, I want to share, uh, what, uh, thank you for mentioning that. It is very difficult to forgive, especially when, when somebody make our life so miserable like that. Mm -hmm. But if we don't forgive, we don't make progress. Right. So forgiveness is like cleaning the plate, <laughs> cleaning it out and prepare to receive something new. Yes. So if we don't forgive, we, our heart is full of darkness. Yes. We cannot love again. We have to, to forgive that. Yes, you have to let it go. Let it go and uh, start a new life, a new venture. And in order to do that, we, a lot of time, we cannot do it ourselves. We cannot forgive it ourselves. In my case, I do a lot of prayer. I ask God, and it took me a long time. Mm -hmm. Me a long time to completely forgive. Yes, I can say I forgive. Long time ago, I, I decided to forgive, but the effect is now it's not complete. Mm -hmm. We have to keep forgiving. Yes, it's a journey. You have it to is, keep yeah. doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it. Yeah, yeah. And um, I found the way that I can do it is by looking at the gratitude, looking at something good that I'm grateful for. So when I use the gratitude as the, the magnet to take away the negativity, I have more power to it. Mm. And it sounds like you were able to use that gratitude when you were in all of this 
situation that you even were able to be grateful then for things yeah yeah so um yeah so i encourage people to look into look into uh forgive mm-hmm. okay because we are not perfect and we don't expect other people to be perfect either so it's better to start to forgive each other yes and i I feel like forgiveness isn't for those that you're trying to forgive. It's it's to let them go or let it go. Get It's for you. It's for you to get, like you said, cleaning the plate or getting it out so that it's not this toxicity inside your own body. Yeah. yeah and it doesn't true. have to mean that anything was okay, that what they did to you was not okay but you were able to release it, I think. Yeah, yeah. If you don't forgive, you continue to let that affect, that bad affect to keep hurting us. Yeah, it's like giving them the power. Yeah. Yeah, instead of taking your power back by releasing them. Right, right. Yeah, well, gosh, you really went through a lot and what strength and courage that you you showed during all of that i mean the courage to to escape that's quite something i imagine there's a lot of people that wouldn't have had the courage to to make that run for it that's very scary it is it is yeah because if you got caught that might have been it that's it that's it there's no no second chance no second chance wow and here you are able to share your story and your message. And, and yes, it is such a story of hope and courage and forgiveness and gratitude. Powerful story. Tell us about your book. The name of the book is, again, How I Survived the Killing Fields. Yeah, yeah. So that's the book. And uh, <clears throat> the subtitle is uh, Story of Hope love and determination mm, mm-hmm. and can you get it on amazon no it's it's on my website okay and tell us tell the listeners how they can find your website and if, if anybody wants to reach out to you or to to perhaps schedule you for speaking how do they get in touch with you yes you can reach me through my website uh, sarahm.com yes my first name and last name S-A-R-A-I-M dot com. Okay. If you want if you want the book, you just go to the book tab, just click on okay. book, you find book. If you want to schedule or just um, get a discovery session with me, I invite you to schedule a discovery session so I can see if anything I can support you emotionally, mentally. Um, I try to do some coaching, not a regular, normal coaching, just, you know, like simple. If I can see that I can give you a, a direction of where mm-hmm. to go so you can not linger into your miserable uh, situation, I might be able to help you, support you that way. So I am... I'm not licensed counselor or psychotherapist or anything like that. I am just give you 
personal advice from my own personal experience. Mm -hmm. And I'll put uh, all of your contact information in the show notes for our listeners. And I think that's very kind and generous of you to offer a discovery session. And I encourage our listeners to, to reach out to Sarah because she's someone who certainly has some life experience. And it sounds to me like you had moments of clarity of what you needed to do. And perhaps that was from your prayer and messages from God, because you got through it all. So, yes. Thank, yeah. thank you. Yeah. Through, um, through uh, thinking, I'm, I'm looking back, uh, reflecting back on my background, on my journey. I realized that, you know, I have a lot of lessons that I can share with other people that they might be able to take advantage of. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Oh, gosh, Sarah. So thank you so much for sharing this very powerful story. And I look forward to reading your book. I think it would be an amazing story to read. And thank you for sharing it with our listeners. Thank you for having me, Jennifer. Oh, you are so welcome. And so listeners, uh, stay tuned for more on Sarah and we'll be putting that in the show notes. And um, again, I just want to say thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, listener. Reach out to me. Don't be shy. (laughs) Um, um, I'm preparing to support you, to help you in any way I can. And that is so awesome. All right. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Unbreakable Spirit. To learn more about Jennifer and her holistic weight loss approach, visit her website at sevencompany.com. That's the number seven, company.com. And please join us for our next episode where we'll hear from more women who overcame hardship and learned how to thrive.